Okay, so you ready? Yes. All right, we're started. Okay. Welcome to The Witches Next Door, our third official show. I mean, not that there have been any... Um, Unofficial shows? Yeah. Yeah. But here we are again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is scintillating. <laughs> I mean, if I was listening in, I'd be like, oh, look at this. Guion and Phoenix bantering about nothing. Yeah. So, hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. It's The Witches Next Door. I'm Phoenix. I'm, and I'm Guion. And today we're going to talk about kitchen magic. What? Kitchen witchery. Oh. Magical crap to do in the kitchen. Don't crap in the kitchen. Like, that is a good part First of rule. First rule of kitchen witchery. Don't crap if in the kitchen. If you've learned nothing else from our podcast, <laughs> let it be that. Really? That's your magical legacy? Don't crap in the kitchen? <laughs> You're <laughs> the mean, one that wrote the book about food and magic. Yeah, but at no point in the book did I ever bring up crap or magic. I mean, you might think the book is crap, but there was no, <laughs> there was no, con- no conversation about when crapping in the kitchen, magical I kitchen crap. I think this crappery. is a tangent we should end. Do you? <laughs> All right. Well, you started it. <laughs> no, no. I just would like to point out, friends... I never start it. <laughs> I think if we if were there to... is anything that could be taken to a ridiculous degree on a random tangent of silliness and ridiculousness, it is you, friend, Guion. You are the one that can take a tangent until you just want to die from the <laughs> ridiculousness of it. I don't know what you're talking of about. Of course you don't. Mm. Perhaps we should interview the children. <laughs> Because they'll be on my side. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, they're not here. So, uh, no. mm. so anywho, kitchen yeah. witchery. Yeah, go on then. Uh, I believe. Can you hear me chewing? Yeah. That's a nice bit of cucumber. That. Oh, I thought it was kitchen witchery. It was appropriate that I, you know, be chewing the entire time we do the interview. Well, you know, you do do that while you're on the phone. What? I don't think you can take a phone call without eating. Well, you know, I'm in demand. People are going to call me on my lunchtime. I'm going to I'm going to eat. Uh-huh. Anyway, what are we here for this week? I thought we were listening to you eat cucumbers. That's it, folks. <laughs> it's an entire show of me just crunching on uh, on cucumbers. Next, I'll be bringing out the potato chips. I think we should probably talk about like witchcraft. Oh, yeah, all right. And how it relates to the kitchen. Go on then. Okay, fine. I'll start. Um so you may have noticed in the kitchen well, no, there's more. There's so much more to say. Where do I begin? Let me back up. Go on, then. The kitchen is a magical realm. Mm-hmm. And it is the place where our ancestors, who may have not even referred to themselves as witches, were doing witchcraft. And anyone who cooks anything is doing alchemy And you could extrapolate that a little further if you wanted to and say, therefore, they are doing magic. I don't think everyone would agree with that drawing out of it. But Mm. but you could say that all all cooking is magical. Right. Yeah. And you use all the elements. I would agree with that. Right. And you're transforming something from one thing to another thing to be consumed. Yeah. Right. Very alchemical. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And. To go, like, just to continue on my tangent, a lot of the tools that we use in the kitchen, you could also see in a ritual, like a knife. Yeah. Or, you know, in a ritual, you might call it an athame, but just because it's not an athame you're using in the kitchen doesn't mean it's any less magical or couldn't be consecrated as a magical tool, right? A wooden spoon is no different than a wand. Yeah. Your pot is a cauldron. Yeah, you're you're stealing all my best material. Oh, I'll stop talking then. <laughs> what do you think about kitchen yeah. magic and stuff? I, are you going to interview me, or am I just? Are we just randomly chatting? Oh, I thought we were randomly chatting, and then we were going to discuss some of the tenets of your book. Oh, okay, yeah, we can do that. Um, Unless you want me to interview you. No, I think this is fine. Okay. Yeah, I like this. Hmm. Yeah, I so I I uh, agree mostly with you. Mm. So let's argue. Mm, that's always good radio, <laughs> radio, podcast, whatevs. Yeah. So uh, I do think that uh, without a doubt there is an essence of alchemy 
uh, and therefore magic in cookery. And it's for the exact reasons that you said, right? We we take uh, an ingredient when we cook, mm-hmm. and depending on how we treat it, we either bring out more of its flavors, or we, um, and so that it's a heightened version of itself, or we um, extract the flavors from um, an ingredient so that they perfume or flavor um, meld with, give an essence of everything else that's in the in the pot with it or in the pan with it. So I think in that regard, that's very alchemical, right? Because mm-hmm. it's about the transmutation of one thing into another. It's a, a solid item turning into a liquid. It's a liquid um, added to other in- ingredients to make a solid, right? There's all these mm-hmm. amazing techniques in cookery where you can change the consistency of an ingredient and when you do that uh, it's alchemical and again to sort of carry on the alchemical notion you're also um applying typically heat or cold right right in some form or other whether that's hot water or direct flame or gas or microwaves or you Mm -hmm. know whatever it is so there's yeah there's this piece of adding um, heat or cold to an item to enhance or extract or change or transmute the f- flavors. Right. And and on a on a very scientific level, that's exactly what's happening. You are by heating up the ingredients. You are releasing oils. You are changing chemical compounds. Right. You are um, releasing flavonoids. I mean, there's all these amazing chemical reactions that happen um with foods right when you combine them or heat them or mm-hmm. so yeah i mean there's something very alchemical about cooking and then um i do think there's a, a magical element beyond that and you know you mentioned that the the idea of we we cook with the elements you know if you think about any cooking technique if you braise something that means to cook it in liquid if you grill it, essentially that means putting it over flame, mm-hmm. even if it's not actual flame. You know, it could be a an electric range or a, a barbecue or whatever. But right. So there's the element of heat. There's the element of water. There's the element of earth. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've got the ingredients themselves. All the things that you're yeah. actually cooking. Right. And in some cases, the things you're cooking with, like a cast iron mm-hmm. um, a pot, cauldron dutch oven fry pan you know whatever it is um steel implements wooden cooking spoons Mm. i mean like all of those are very elemental so yeah i do i do think and then air i I didn't mention air but um if you ever think about a meringue if you ever whip anything i mean what you're doing is infusing it with air Mm -hmm. that's the the whole idea um so yeah yeah the elements are uh, absolutely um, present mm-hmm. in every time we cook. So there's this um, popular movement, I guess you might call it. I don't know if it, movement might be too big of a word, but it's called anger baking or angry baking. <laughs> and um, and it was actually started by a woman of color. She wrote, She writes this blog about angry baking and how she uses that to kind of get out some of her rage, like right? Like when she's kneading dough or something? Right, yeah. right. So there's this whole blog about it, and she posts recipes and, you know, all this cool stuff. Um, but I have feelings about angry baking. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about anger baking or angry baking or rage baking. Maybe it's rage baking. I don't remember the exact word, but right. you get the context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to uh, sort of take this back to a, a a different conversation, but one that's related. Because mm-hmm. you know me, I can't ever just answer a question. I know. Yeah. So one of the things that you most often hear, if you if you ever watch any cooking shows, or if you if you talk with any uh, chefs or cooks, and you um, talk about their food experiences, often what you'll hear cooks say, um, or people around cooking, they'll say. Or you can really taste the love in that. 
like the difference between my shepherd's pie and your shepherd's pie is that mine is made with love, for instance, mm -hmm. because it reminds me of my grandmother. And so every time I cook it, I'm thinking about my grandmother. Or, or I'm this, thinking so about you can taste the soul of the chef. Yeah, exactly. So um, there is this notion that we can infuse the taste of our food with our mood, mm -hmm. if you will. So, yeah, there is something about rage baking. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I want to eat right. somebody's rage. Now, to put that a slightly different way, I do want to taste a cook's passion. Right. I do want to taste a cook's um, blood, sweat, and tears. Like, not literally, but, yeah, you know, yeah. the hard work that goes yeah. into a food. I do want to taste their almost fanatical devotion to highlighting an ingredient that is underserved in most cases. So I get the concept. Mm -hmm. And I, I haven't read the blog, right, so I don't right. want to do a disservice to maybe some really brilliant information that I just don't yeah. have. Well, I, you know, I appreciate the concept, yeah. too. I think, uh, you know, if you've ever made dough or, you know, yeah. needed, right, that process of kneading can be quite cathartic. Oh, yeah. You know, you can beat the crap out of dough and um, it does do something to re you can release things that need to be released. So I fully get that idea of it, like yeah. like processing your emotions through the baking process. And I think that's true beyond rage right i think you can process like how i don't know why this is popping into my head but i know people who when they're depressed they bake and it makes them feel better or you yeah, know I'm, when they're I'm stressed they bake and it makes them feel better right so yeah. i really get the idea of cooking or baking to process emotions i just don't know that i necessarily want to eat the product of some of those emotions i think it might be good for the person yeah to eat like the because tr you know it's also that idea of you know in the fairy tradition they do this practice called the kala, mm. right? Where you release all your negative emotions and all the crap and sludge that's holding you back, and you put it into a cup of water. You energetically release it, and then you transform, transmute that water into uh, instead of it being all the negative, you transmute it into the positive, and then you drink it, right? So I. I don't necessarily, I don't do this practice. It's not something I'm actually a fan of, but I, I can see in the concept of baking, if you pound your rage into something or your sadness or your anger, and then you transmute it and it bakes and it cooks and it changes that then maybe you can t eat that and feel the transformation. But I still don't know that I would do it personally. Like, I don't know that I want to eat someone's rage cupcake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, that's a great name for a cupcake shop. Rage cupcakes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, again, I think it's about, I mean, w one of the things I say in the book, in a couple of the recipes, there are some um, times where, where you need, like, crushed hazelnuts mm -hmm. or something like that. And I say, you know, put it in a in a bag and bash it with a, a rolling pin or something like that. I think that's absolutely fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, there is something quite lovely about, you know, bashing on... Uh, um, on on peanuts or hazelnuts or you just said in the book, yeah. Could you say more about what you mean about what, about the book? About what is the book? What is it called? What oh, are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as you know, uh, Phoenix at least, maybe other folks don't, but uh, I did write a book called The Magic of Food: uh, Rituals, Offerings, and Why We Eat Together, and. Uh, the the book is sort of broken into several parts and one of the parts is is history it's sort of how some of our uh recent and far distant ancestors worked with food and ritual taken from like their writings or the contemporary writings of the time um how they used food in ritual or how they made offerings so there's that part of the book there's a whole section on kitchen witchery, mm -hmm. like modern day practices, um, different ways that we can work with food and magic today. And then there, 
scattered throughout the book and certainly towards the end of the book there's about 42 of my favorite recipes there's about 42 no there are exactly okay 42. thank you mm -hmm. did i say about yeah <laughs> no there are exactly 42 <laughs> recipes lovely yeah for a very specific reason which mm -hmm. i shall not divulge here oh, okay then i won't say anything oh go on if, I mean, if you know i, I mean care. is it the answer it is the answer okay because food is the answer mm -hmm. because life the universe and everything that's right yeah okay yeah. because without food we wouldn't have any of that right yeah so uh yeah so that's the book and um it was a labor of love to write and uh, i thoroughly enjoy getting engrossed in the research of it all and um yeah just really diving into the cookery and the witchery and uh, the <laughs> and there's our dog there's our dog <laughs> Thanks, Peter. We're she's, recording she's, a show. She's decided that something is going on that is displeasing her highness. Yeah. She's off barking. Just pay no attention. Y yeah, okay. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. There's, you know, a billion people listening to this. <laughs> one. One person uh, listening to this. Well, uh, dog's got to bark. I mean, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> So the name of this episode is the one where Guion was going to talk about his book. But, but we, we just listened up. to Pito barking. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Anywho. Yeah. Back to the kitchen. Yeah, go on then. What's your favorite kitchen magical tool? Ooh, that's a tough question. You know, I think that really varies on what I'm cooking. But, um, you know, probably my knives. Mm -hmm. I love my knives. You know, I have a really nice set of chef's knives, and I love them. I take care of them like they're family members, maybe better than family members. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do. I like them. Um, they are phenomenal tools. They are sharp. They are a bit dangerous. Um, from a cookery perspective and from a magical perspective, they help me cut away the bits that I don't want that won't serve the meal or the magic that I'm making. And in that way, they remind me very much of my ceremonial knives, you know, my apple knives, mm -hmm. um, because they're used for the same thing. They're used to, to cut things away, cut away what's needed, set boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and I love, like, the feel of the knife in my hand. All of my knives are really lovely weighted, but my, my biggest knife, my chef knife, is great. And I, I use the knives really differently, too. So I have a, my chef's knife, which I use for a lot. Then I have a thinner, longer knife that I use when I'm breaking down chicken or um, other, uh, like, bony meats. Mm -hmm. And then I have a small, like, a paring knife that I use for, you know, small cut work. And I really love that. So I think my knives are probably my favorite tool. And then, like, second behind that are all of my cast iron pots and pans the dutch oven there is something amazing about cooking with uh with cast iron mm -hmm. yeah i love that i love cooking with cast iron nice i think there's a flavor and a sound yeah but i'm you know it's interesting now you got me thinking about that because i mean you know i have a favorite wooden spoon mm -hmm. i have this red spoon that you bought me mm -hmm. and i love it at target i know <laughs> The magical shop Target. Uh, but no, I love that spoon because, you know, it's it's uh, traditionally, if you look at, you know, some of the lore around wands, you know, it's very much, it very much belongs to me. Nobody else really uses it. Mm -hmm. If you put it in the crook of my elbow, it runs almost to my uh, fingertip. So it's sort of that traditional Size. length. Yeah. Um, and it, it functions like a... Uh, uh, like a wand as well you know wands are about directing energy mm -hmm. and i can do that with a uh, spoon when i cook right so i wouldn't put my hands into a boiling pot of soup to see what was going on at the bottom but with my wand with my spoon i can feel down to the bottom of the pot i can see if things are cooking i can um, push on the vegetables or the meats or whatever it is that i'm cooking and mm -hmm. get a sense of whether they're done, I can bring up what's at the bottom and taste it mm -hmm. um, and get a sense of, 
you know whether the flavors are melding so it really does become an extension of my hand when I cook with it and in that way I think it's very similar to a wand right but see so I started with knives and then I mentioned cast iron pots and pans and then I would and and then my spoons and then I would also say my kitchen towels Mm -hmm. and my apron like kitchen towels are like my altar cloths or my you know things that I use to clean up the magic when bits go wrong right and then my apron I have this white apron and uh, I look like when I put that apron on I feel like I'm putting on my ceremonial robes Mm -hmm. you know like it's the apron I wear when I cook and why I think that's magic is again it's sort of like that magical uniform like if you come into the kitchen and you see me wearing that you know I'm about to do some serious cooking right um and um you know it's protection you know for things splattering on me um so you know it, it very much emulates robes but it's also there's a seriousness when I bring out those knives mm-hmm. when I put on that uh, apron. Uh, it means I'm going to get down to the serious business or the fun business of cooking something nutritious, fun, delicious, um, healing. You know, so there's an intentionality, and and I think just like going into ritual and. Um, casting a circle or whatever you do to make your space sacred putting on those robes grabbing those tools um, putting my ingredients and my spices and uh, everything that I'm going to need in its place my you know missing plus getting everything ready getting my stuff in place like all of that is the beginning of a spell right and that's how I treat it and uh, yeah it's very sacred to me to be in the kitchen mm-hmm what I think is cool about, well, so not everyone cooks. I get that. And especially in where, you know, in the United States, you don't have to cook. You know, if you have the financial means, you can go out to eat it for every meal. But I, I think most people cook in some way, shape or form, even if that's just heating something up or throwing something in the microwave yeah. uh, or, you know, having a much more long dramatic meal but what I find wonderful about kitchen witchery in general is that this is like the magic that our ancestors have always been doing even when they didn't call it witchcraft right and that you can make anything in the kitchen a magical implement just like you might carve uh, or draw runes or magical symbols or sigils into your athame or your wand or whatever you can do that with your kitchen knives and your kitchen spoons and you can anoint your uh like you said your towels or um your aprons with specific herbs or elixirs or whatever like um you know for example adding stuff to the laundry so if you wash your towels and your kitchen towels in a add a little specific mix into the laundry like what uh like well, I guess it, for a peaceful home, right? If you have some a little bit of lavender or like what I like to use is bath crystals because um, it has less stuff in it. So you don't have to worry about it messing up your washing machine. But you just put a little pinch of bath crystals that have been imbued with a specific energy. They may have a little bit of essential oils in it added to them, a little bit of herbs, um, you know, peaceful home formula usually has maybe lemongrass and lavender and maybe a little rosemary things that really aid in keeping things calm and tranquil you might add a pinch of that to the load of laundry you do when you wash your kitchen kitchen towels and your aprons right so that you're imbuing that energy you're magicalizing like that that's a great new word Yeah, yeah you're magicalizing your your kitchen fabrics You know, and it doesn't have to if you want to practice witchcraft and you want to get real deep in it, but it's not something that can be accepted or out in the open. You can easily do kitchen witchcraft and no one's going to know. You know, I think that's the thing, right? So there's the the notion and I I don't know the validity of this, but um, the notion that traditional witches or witches from from the past 
um, did them, they hid their magic in plain sight. Right. Right. So the, the pot that was over the stove became the cauldron. Right. The wooden spoon became the wand. The right. knife. The knife became you know. the athlete. Right. You know, and it was out in plain sight, so you could never be accused, accused. of being a witch. Right. right. And again, I think a lot of that is is fanciful yeah more than well accurate. and some of it is witch trial stuff like yeah. oh we found this in biddy samson's house biddy samson i don't know i just said the first thing that came into my head yeah. therefore y- she must be a witch says right. i right. right yeah so it was you know it may not have been what witches were actually doing and again no one was calling themselves a freaking witch at that point in right. the world but they were people were still practicing witchcraft. They just weren't calling it that. Well, I mean, and I think there is a Biddy Samson though. Biddy Samson. Gotta watch right. out for that chick. Wow, but I do think you know there is a difference <laughs> between I think uh, what we would call witchcraft and what we would call folk practices. Absolutely true. That's right? true. And th- that's maybe the difference. There were lots of people that practiced folk uh, practices. Folk, right. Folk uh, medicine. Medicine. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't ever have called no. themselves. No, a witch. in fact, would be super offended if you called them a witch. But what we call witchcraft now looks a lot similar to that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the kitchen is one of those places that you can do it. I mean, let's be let's be real about it for a moment. If somebody in your household was sick, mm-hmm. serving them certain foods, whether folks understood the science of it or just that knew the results of it, yeah, you know, certain foods will. Um, purposely uh, make you throw up or will calm an upset stomach or will um, cause an abortion or will cause a diarrhea or will kill you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you put just so, you know, foods can both heal and kill. The only difference is dosage, right? Right. So, um, and, and there's also, in a very practical sense, if if you begin to have a conversation with anybody about food, especially if they've got good memories of food, uh, maybe from a favorite restaurant that they went to as a kid or, or a, a, a grandparent or a friend that cooked or, you know, whatever it was, folks um, associate food and memory. Like that's one of mm-hmm. the the most uh, profound triggers of of good memories right mm-hmm. is the the smell of something cooking reminds you of that thing right. you did when you were scent five. is a big thing yeah but it's also very healing so you know there are certain scents that really work to calm me outside of whatever their actual magical properties might be or their actual scientific properties right. might be when i smell lavender it calms me down partly because that's what lavender does yes but also because my grandmother's house smelt like lavender and my grandmother's place was a warm, welcoming, safe place. Right. So I associate lavender with uh, calmness and comfort as much because of my grandmother as uh, uh, regardless of what the actual properties of lavender right. are. And as it turns out, they those are the properties. Those are the properties. But... Um, yeah, so yeah. I think that that makes a difference. Yeah, I was just chatting with somebody the other day. I I, I haven't been feeling great recently. Just um, um, I'm I'm heart sick. Do you over. have the COVID blues? I do. I don't have COVID. Just no, to no, be clear, just but the COVID blues. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm yeah. I'm worn out yeah. from you know vigilance and and um, lack of um, some wonderful things in my life that I don't get to do right now. Um, and uh, and I miss people, and I miss hugging mm-hmm. my friends, and, yeah. and you know all of that. And uh, so I made myself um, a dish the other day that I'm the only person in the house that likes it. I'm the only person that eats it, but it reminded me of of um, some good times. It reminded me of uh, Sunday dinners at my grandmother's house. It also reminded me a few years ago I was in New Zealand on um, a farm that my younger brother. Lives on, and we had lamb that you know, in the not too decent, uh, uh, distant, distant past, had been frolicking in those fields, and um, and then was in the freezer, and then was grilled <laughs> on a barbecue, and it was fucking delicious. And but what was amazing about that is that I was instantly transported both to that farm in New Zealand and to my grandmother's house. 
with the taste of that lamb. Right. And um, in both places, I was surrounded by family. We were having a good old time, um, and uh, it was carefree. Right. And and that's what that meal meant to me. And a, a dear friend of mine was saying that they have a similar connection to um, to lamb and to New Zealand, mm-hmm. and, and they they got that. Nice. So yeah. So food is a powerful, uh, magical tool in and of itself. Yeah. Well, I think most people have a food that they just love. Like I sometimes I refer to it as the death row food. Like the if there was if you were if you got to just select your last meal, you know what would it be? What would it be? Tacos from Jack in the Box. <laughs> Not mac and cheese. No, no. I would just want five thousand tacos from Jack in the Box, and that's what actually funny. What I was about to say is it doesn't have to be something you know, sentimental or something high quality or some, you know, like grandma made chicken and dumplings. It could be tacos from Jack in the Box, which is mine. But and the counter to that, and I will ask you the same question in just a second, is people also tend to have a food that they can't stand. And even thinking about it, oogs them out like my stepdad. (laughs) Yeah, he hate you can't even say the word pop tart around him. Because when he was a kid, he snuck a Pop-Tart and ate it. And then when his dad found out, he forced him to eat like an entire That's terrible. box of Pop-Tart. That is a horrible story. And so he can't yeah. even hear the word Pop-Tart yeah. without getting ooged out. Yeah. So, and I, mine is rye bread, not because I was forced to eat rye bread. I just don't like it. There's something about it that tastes disgusting i can even taste it now talking about it and sometimes when i have bad dreams or nightmares i wake up and it tastes like that in my mouth so that's why i don't like rye bread but what about you what would your last meal be well i'm going to answer that question but i'm just going to go back to something you said pop tart yeah (laughs) so uh, i'm just i don't often say should or shouldn't or never <laughs> or always, you know, because I get there's nuance in the world. Uh-huh. But don't shame people. No, exactly. Don't, don't make them eat food. No. Don't say things like, you can't leave the table until you... That's, that's a, a marine yeah. parent, strict, southern... Yeah, no, I get it. And I, I get... But I think if we were to talk to every single person, or you know, maybe in our case, the one person that listens to our little Hi, show thank here, thank you, thank you, one person. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but um, I think if we were to ask every single person, most people um, have some baggage around food. Oh yeah. Either because they were told they, uh, you know, they had that well-meaning parent that said, eat, eat everything on your plate, you know, and they were forced to just keep eating or were told that they couldn't leave the table until right. they finished. I have or, one of those stories too. Yeah, yeah. Or that you ate too much. Or, you right. know what I mean? There's, Jeez, you eat so much for such a little thing right. or whatever. Right. So yeah. there are so many things that each one of us carries around food that I think that God, now I'm remembering other stories. Yeah, don't tell them. <laughs> don't don't tell them. It's really. I mean, tell them to yourself. Talk to your therapist. But like, don't share them here because I that for me feels counterproductive to the magic that we're actually absolutely that we're doing. And yeah. and for me, um, food can be a joy, and I am much more interested and uh, completely disinterested in talking about the ways that we've fucked each other up around food Mm -hmm. and i'm much more interested in talking about the joy in food and the ways that we can celebrate food magically and ritually in ways that um actually edify our relationship with food or with the places that the food comes from or the cultures that it derives from or the very land that it grows on Mm -hmm. and in that i think we can re-enchant and revitalize our relationship with the earth and most pagans or witches or folks that are sort of similarly inclined i think hold that the earth is sacred Mm -hmm. and one way that we can really honor that day in and day out is with the food choices that we make and just to be clear you mentioned something earlier about sort of financial privilege to to buy food Mm -hmm. You know, the reality of it is it, it really doesn't matter whether you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and can eat whatever you want or whether you've got $20 that's got to last you a week. 
the preparation of the food, and it doesn't matter what that food mm -hmm. is, the preparation of that food, the eating of that food, the enjoyment, the sharing of that food can become a sacred act. Right. So even if it's cheese whiz from a can sprayed on Pringles, that actually sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, even cheese whiz on a can sprayed on Pringles can be a sacred meal if it's approached sacredly. Right. Doesn't necessarily make it particularly nutritious, but nutrition and magic and health are not no. synonymous. No, and there's this weird, this, you know, a lot of pagans are kind of more on the natural side of life, yeah. and I that's not that's not the majority. Well, no, it is the majority, but it's not like ninety percent, sure. right? But I think a lot of the witches and pagans I've come across are are more at least aware. Right. Yeah. And I have been in magical circles where I've talked about, you know, like, oh, after ritual, all I really want to do is go get Taco Bell, you know, and I've been shamed in ritual with some magical people like, oh, my God, I haven't eaten fast food in decades. I can't believe you eat that stuff. And that's great. Like your choices for your body are wonderful and all of that. But what I choose to eat and what I choose to to pick up after ritual is no less sacred because it comes from Jack in the Box. <laughs> no, and I mean, and I, you know, you're making a, a, a funny point, yes. but it's a really accurate point. So here's the reality of it. If you want to eat Jack in the Box or Taco Bell or whatever your guilty pleasure food is, it's after Jack in ritual, the Box and Taco Bell. Great. Um, there is actually a magic to that. Mm -hmm. So you have put out energy. If you've been in a ritual, whether you've been leading it or participating in it, you've put out a certain amount of energy. And your body says, I'm craving something right now. And for whatever reason over your lifetime, you've been conditioned to go, mm, I know what will take care of that. Whether it's because it's got you know, the right amounts of salt and fat and, yeah. and, and acid and crunch yeah. and, you know, whatnot in it. Carbohydrates. Right. Mm -hmm. The things that sugars, the things that um, uh, uh, fill you up in the moment, mm -hmm. you can't discount that. So I, I, I told this story recently. You know, sometimes when I'm feeling down and I'm feeling blue, you will show up with uh, a little surprise for me and it will be a little bag of jelly beans or... Uh, um, uh, gummy bears. Yeah. Now, there is absolutely nothing nutritious about jelly beans or gummy bears. They're filled with corn syrup <laughs> and sugar and <laughs> more corn real, syrup. Not even and, real sugar. Right. I mean, there's, n it's, I mean, you know, from a, from a nutritional standpoint of view, they're worthless. Yeah. But when I'm feeling down and, uh, and, and the blues are really sitting heavy on my shoulders, you going to the shop, you bringing home that little, you know, two or three ounces of, of jelly beans and me chomping them down ravenously <laughs> actually soothes my soul in a way that quinoa will never do. Right. Right. Or some clean local food that was, you know. Grass fed. and Right. And and it's not to say that read poetry too and right exactly massaged yeah, and yeah. yeah and and again it's not to say that those foods aren't good or, no. or may have health benefits yes um, and eating a diet of exclusively jelly beans is not a good plan not a good plan yeah. mm -hmm. but that doesn't actually change the fact that in the moment they are transformed from a bunch of sugar and crap into a gesture of love right and in that gesture of love they become magical. They mm -hmm. become sacred. They become more than the components that make them up. Mm -hmm. And that's actually true of food across the board. So whether it's, you know, jack-in-the-box tacos or whether it's the most lavishly and lovingly prepared meal with the very best ingredients that you can uh, gather. And, you know, Phoenix, you and I have eaten at some of the world's best restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, we've been very fortunate in that regard. Yes. And... Um, and I still love Jack in the Box right. tacos. And and there is no. In fact, I would pick Jack in the Box tacos over virtually any other food experience I've had, and I've had uh, some pretty incredible ones. Yeah, yeah. 
And I do find that just a little sad, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to discount from your own magic, and yet there are some well, you really know, good foods. Uh, yeah, that, well, that's my that's my food legacy because right. of of my own childhood stuff right. around food. Right. Fast food is it wasn't something I had access to, so right. it is my favorite thing. Yeah, but you didn't share what your final meal would be. Oh man. I mean, there are just so many. I mean, that's that's, you know, like asking you what your favorite song is. But I think. Come on, you know it would be Jack in the Box tacos. It would absolutely not be <laughs> Jack in the Box tacos. You know who loves Jack in the Box tacos? Uh, do you? Guion. No. Guion. I mean, I do like Jack ah! in the Box tacos, but <laughs> they would not remotely be my last meal. Okay. So I think, um, yeah, there are a couple of things that come to mind. Mm. Uh, a full English breakfast. Oh, sure. Um, For folks who are unfamiliar with a full English breakfast, it involves beans. There's a bit more <laughs> to it than that. Beans and and cooked tomatoes. And? And eggs and a rasher of bacon and toast and, and tea. And? Blood sausage? Yeah, black pudding, mushrooms. Mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ketchup. Yeah, so that would probably be a full English would definitely be a... Um, I'm into the full English, except for the beans. Yeah. I don't I don't like beans that much. Yeah, like baked beans. Yeah, right. you Brits love your beans, which is so weird. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. go on. Oh, um, so that, that would be one meal. Mm. Um, you only get one. It's your final meal. No, a meal. It's, it's a not meal. meals. It's meal. No, no. It's it's a meal. A meal <laughs> consists of many courses. It's my death row. It's my last meal. All I right, can have what I want. Right. You eat your five thousand Jack in the Box tacos. <laughs> uh, so yeah, a full English breakfast would be up there. Um, I think probably uh, shepherd's pie would mm. be up there, especially my recipe of shepherd's pie, and, mm. which is really a knockoff of my grandmother's shepherd's pie. Mm-hmm. That's really good and comforting. Uh, oysters. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, right? Oysters. <laughs> I love oysters. I don't like oysters. They're I slimy. adore oysters. Slimy, and they taste like delicious ocean fish butt. Fish butt. <laughs> I don't like things that taste like fishy. I like fish, but I I don't like it to taste or smell fishy. There, that's that's off putting to me. Mm. And oysters are fishy. They're not. They're briny. No. Yeah, they taste fish, like seawater. Fish butt. You Go know, on, I've, oysters. I've eaten many parts of the fish. It's I, a good thing it's your last meal, because if you're mixing a full English breakfast with shepherd's pie with oysters, you might not be feeling good later. Well, if it's my last meal, I could, I could give a exactly, shit. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So those are things that would be on there. I, I think I would like to cook my last meal. Like, that would be nice. Mm. I know? wouldn't. I mean, I suppose it depends on the circumstances. I mean, I don't know how to make jack-in-the-box tacos. I don't think it's hard, <laughs> but I wouldn't want to cook my last meal. No. I'm a Taurus. I want just the food brought to me yeah, like in a dump truck, and I yeah. just open my mouth, and it pours in. Lots of uh, <laughs> uh, lots of red wine, too. Mm. I do like red wine. Really good. Pinot mm. Noir. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, although, you know, actually, I'm, I'm going to disagree with the premise a little bit. So, in, in the book... Um, What's the book? The Magic of Food, Rituals, Offerings, and Why We Eat Together. Ah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, that I wrote. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Who are you again? Uh, Guion Raven. Okay. Yeah. Go on. Uh, or Guion, was it? Yeah. Gui- Mrs. Phoenix. Gui- Mr. Phoenix. Gui- Guion? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, again, I disagree with the premise because um, I suppose we'll all have a last meal, but in the book, the the shepherd's pie recipe mm-hmm. I alluded to is actually called shepherd's pie to live for. You know, a lot of people say, oh, that cheesecake is to die for. There are a great many things I imagine that, um, you know, could kill me um, and that I might choose to die for. Mm. But um, it's probably not cheesecake. It's not cheesecake. Yeah. Right. So mm. I dislike that as a saying. Um, I really love the idea of um, uh, living for food. Yeah. You know, living one's best life. Eating, Big Daddy Sitch. Big Daddy Sitch. Living your best life. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea of um, uh, of uh, eating deliciously whenever possible, no matter what the ingredients are, no matter what your budget is. But really savoring the food, right? Uh, 
you know, one of my favorite things to do is... Eating slowly. Uh, eating mindfully. Yeah. Yeah, not necessarily slowly. Which, apparently, is better for you from a health perspective, too. Not yeah. only are you having a, a, a more aware relationship with the food, but you're having a better digestive process, mm -hmm. supposedly. Yeah. And you can also taste the ingredients. Right. Um, yeah, but like slurping, you can't slurp slowly. Well, you can if it's well, soup. Not really. But it's like good manners in Japan to slurp. Uh, yes. You wouldn't want to be rude. Yeah, but you can't <laughs> slurp slowly. Yeah, when uh, there's a, a rhythm to slurping. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Put a microphone in front of Phoenix's face and you'll never know what comes out. Slurping. Yeah. Okay, right. I'm going to change the subject. Please do. Uh, one of the things that I like about kitchen witchcraft is doing magic on other people. <laughs> That's actually not what I was going to say, but it is along those lines. <laughs> For example, I keep using Peaceful Home as a as my example because I think that's kind of the best way to do this type, type of work. Peaceful Home or protection work or... Uh, you know, if you if your kid is about to take a big test or has a final or taking the SATs or some crap, you can do like success work, right? But you can write little prayers and put them in the bottom of your sugar bowl. And then when you use that sugar, it's imbued with prayers. You can draw runes or sigils on your salt shakers or your herb shakers. Or there's some things like that that you like to do to kind of add magic to your food or add magic um, to everyday things that you're doing so it's kind of like the way I look at it is like putting our prayer at the bottom of the sugar bowl I don't necessarily have to hold this reverent intention every time I scoop the sugar it's better if I do but if I'm in a hair if it's a harried morning and I'm busy and I don't have the moment to like breathe and sit with the sugar it's still imbuing my coffee with with that prayer because it's it's in the sugar bowl is there any little things like that that you do? Yeah, I do lots of things like that. Like what? Um, so uh, usually in the morning when I stir my morning drink, which is frequently tea, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's coffee, I like to stir it, and I'll stir it in a in a clockwise or a jessel direction, mm -hmm. and I will think about the good things that are coming to me today. Even if the best thing that comes to me today is this nice warm cup of tea, you know, yeah. the rest of the day could be crap, but I'm thinking about all the warm, lovely, delicious things that are going to come my way. So I will stir in a particular direction. Um, it, when I um, cook... Um, if I, especially if I'm stirring. Stirring is a big thing that I do with magic, mm -hmm. right? So I will stir in, and I'll sometimes say this out loud, um, what it is that I'm stirring in the food. You know, may this chicken soup be healthy. May mm -hmm. this chicken soup bring nourishment to whomever that's eating it. Um, so I will stir in my intentions. Um, but I also pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, this is something else I talk about in the book. Um, a, a dear friend of mine and a chef mentor uh, a person by the name of uh, Karen McKay. Uh, Karen is a real kitchen witch. Uh, she's an amazing cook. Um, and we've had this discussion about the difference between intention and attention. Mm -hmm. So you can intend all the love that you want, but if you intend um, but don't attend to the ingredients you can kill me so you can intend <laughs> to make me a lovely meal of chicken but if it's undercooked or mm -hmm. raw you could because kill you me attend because you it. didn't attend to it yeah so intention is lovely yeah. so i like the idea of i you think know, that putting goes the... to all kinds of witchcraft and spellcraft and magic yeah but i don't think we talk about that no we I, don't i think if you were to talk to the majority of people and they would say oh intention is everything or it's intention not. is the key yeah i don't it's like not. that Right. And, and with cookery, it's definitely not. Yes, I intend this meal to be nourishing and right. to be healing. But if I don't attend to yeah. the ingredients, I can have the exact opposite. Yeah. Effect. If it was just about intention, then we wouldn't have to do anything. Right. You would. I would just sit here on my butt and manifest everything that I wouldn't even be sitting in this house. I'd be at a freaking mansion with, you know, my staff that are 
fluffing my pillows and painting my fingernails. What was that about fluffers? My pillows. Mm. Anyway, but that's not my reality. I'm in a, you know, a different reality. Kind of a regular house. Yeah, well, it's a very regular house, you know, in a very regular town and a very yeah regular. But that's, yeah. so that's one of the things I think I do is I'm, um, intentional and give attention. So when I chop ingredients, I do my best to chop them the same size. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, it's more pleasurable to eat them, which makes the meal more enjoyable. But also they cook um, uniformly, uniformly mm -hmm. right? So it's things like that. Um, knowing what ingredients to add when so that they release the most amount of flavors or oils or mm -hmm. whatever it is that they do to the to the meal like i think that's really important um time is something that i have um especially over the last three months um i have the luxury of when i cook um so the other day i cooked some lamb for myself i also roasted a chicken um and i made something else as well can't remember what i made now i made myself and i oh i made a fish stew mm. um all in one day but i had the time to devote to that and each one of those particular um uh, uh, foods that i cooked were cooked for a different purpose with a different intention with different magic the lamb was about connecting to my ancestors and to family the fish stew was I, I had been to the ocean and hadn't really had sort of that healing cathartic um, experience at the ocean that I normally love. And so I thought, OK, well, I didn't get it being at the ocean. So maybe if I cook with ingredients from the ocean, I can get that same um, healing that I wanted. And I absolutely did. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Um, and then the chicken. um is a reminder of being able to use food, uh, and in this case, an animal, um, to its fullest extent. So um, I roasted the chicken in delicious herbs and spices and citrus and what have you. And, um, uh, you know, I've eaten the wings so far. Um, there are thighs and drumsticks to be eaten that will be a, another meal and then there are the breasts that will be another meal and they may end up uh, being added into a soup or into a casserole or into a pot pie or you know whatever it is I do with it and then the carcass itself will get cooked down into chicken stock that I'll use later in the week mm -hmm. so there's this magic of using what's on hand which is a very magical tool right um and using the most amount uh, getting the most bang for my buck if you will mm -hmm. in this case honoring that chicken that gave its life so that i could be nourished um and you know there's the simple fact it doesn't matter whether you are vegetarian or vegan or a carnivore or what have you um um, we live on life. We live mm -hmm. by eating other living things, whether that's a lettuce or a yep. lamb, yep. you know, and um, life feeds on life. And so if I'm going to choose to eat meat, uh, and I do, uh, I'm going to respect that ingredient for the sacrifice that it made, knowing, you know, that at some point down the road, the worms and the mites and whatever else it is will be chomping on whatever's left of me, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I think that's an exchange. There's a reciprocal nature. I'll eat you today so you can eat me tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, yeah, those three, you know, that six hours that I spent in the cook, in the kitchen prepping and cooking those three meals, um, was wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think time is a practice to answer your question about magical things that I do. Um, spending the requisite amount of time treating the ingredients well. You know, I think it's no different than if you're gathering ingredients for a spell, right? That's right. um, exactly the same. Yeah, you're gathering the right ingredients, using the right tools, mm -hmm. cooking them at the right time, um, using them in a particular way to get a particular result. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, that's all magic. Right. And I do that in the kitchen every day. So food practices that I do, um, stirring, um, um, blending in intention, mm -hmm. um, being grateful for my 
mentors in the kitchen, remembering good times I've had cooking on a kitchen crew or um, working with a particular cook or a chef. They've shown me something that I didn't know how to do. And now every time I do it, mm. I remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, remembering grandparents and, and other people that have taught me to cook over the years that aren't with me anymore. Uh, you know, all of those kinds of things. That that literally goes into every single meal that I cook. Um, as well as the practical magic, adding a particular herb if I'm feeling a particular way, um, adding a particular spice if I want to um, alter my mood or somebody else's mood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of those things go into the magic. So it's it's a complex practice. Yeah. Even if all you're doing is pulling back cellophane and sticking something in the microwave for three minutes, right? It's still a complex process. Yeah. So that's what I love about kitchen witchery. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. What about you? What about me? What, what do you like about kitchen witchery? Oh, all of those things. <laughs> oh, that was an erudite answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I like um, I like magical practices that are just really interwoven into regular life. Yeah. You know, and I like the pomp and circumstance and drama of ritual and. Um, crafting a spell and you know doing all the things and gathering all the bits and getting the you know frog eyes and newt testicles or whatever but what spells are you doing oh you've <laughs> not ever done a spell with frog eyes and newt testicles are you even really a witch <laughs> i am sure mm-hmm. um no, but I like the practices that are every day, Yeah. right? So, you know, you mentioned your cup of tea, and that's actually uh, my morning cup. And and I'm a tea drinker now, too. I've switched from coffee. It's been a couple, has it been more than one year? I don't know. It's been a while. But uh, but I do like to have a cup of something warm in the morning. And, yeah. um, and that is part of my magical practice is, you know, having that cup of tea and, and the, the pro- of taking my vitamins with a cup of tea, which I know is weird. Um, but that's anything having to do with food. And I'm not always cognizant. I That would be a ridiculous lie for me to say, like, oh, every time I cook something, it's done with a magical mind or mindfulness or love or blah. It, that's untrue. But it is a place of everyday life where we can easily incorporate more mindfulness yeah. and more magical practice. And it's a place, you know, I like... I also like magic that you can set and forget, you know, so you can draw a rune or a sigil or put a psalm at the bottom of your sugar bowl because you can set it and and imbue that thing with your intention. And then every time you use it, you're getting the impact of that intention. Right. Um, So, yeah, I like all of that kind of stuff. It reminds me of um, Tibetan prayer flags. Yeah, exactly. So, So... some people might not know this, right. but you know the the written there are there are prayers, there are blessings written on those flags, and the idea being is that every time they flutter in the wind, it um, releases that yeah. blessing, right? So that's that idea. I mean, how many people have got Tibetan prayer flags around their right. home or you know wherever they are, and they flutter away and they don't necessarily think about that, right? Um, it's the same thing with the the prayer wheels that you see, the sort of the big drums that you can see, and you walk past and you spin, spin them. them. You know those. Every time you spin them, it's it's um, releasing the spell mm-hmm. or the the chant or the blessing yeah. um, that's inside of those things or carved on the outside of them. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I do love that, and you know, cooking for me. Cooking for the sake of cooking mm-hmm. and cooking for the sake of witching, yeah. Um, for me, are inseparable. Right. Uh, when I cook, I do magic, and often when I do magic, I'm cooking. Yeah. You know, I don't. It's not the only way I do magic. Yeah. Um, but often the two go. Um, I was going to say hand in hand, but maybe I should say a fork in mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also a good opportunity to, you know, and you your feelings about this may vary because some folks might find this coercive, but I think it's a good way to imbue foods and uh, the things that you're creating with, with the specific energies that you might want for your home or your family. Or if you're having a big gathering, if it's Thanksgiving or some other holiday where you're having a large group of people come over that could potentially be 
problematic if yeah. you know if you have family members that don't get along you can imbue the meal with peaceful home herbs or intentions you can hide runes or sigils under the chairs or under the plates of the people who will be sitting at the table there's all kinds of ways to incorporate kitchen witchery into the meal and not just the cooking process yeah yeah and i also think you know there is a way that we can invite um like you said, Think of that typical big family gathering, whether it's, you know, for a, a particular holiday or just yeah. a family reunion. But, you know, if you know there's going to be tension because a certain relative is coming over or what right. have you, you know. Or just when your family gets together, it ends up in, you know, devolves somehow or whatever because of personalities. When your, your aunt punches your other aunt across right. the room. Right, right. Which I'm actually, not speaking about personal experience on that. Yeah, just saying it for a friend. Yeah, yeah. I know someone that happened to yeah me too yeah in this room it's phoenix (laughs) um but um yeah i I do think there are ways so here's one trick that i love to do it's a magical tip Ooh, everyone get your pen and paper right write this one down if you can Mm. before your guests arrive have something cooking that's releasing lovely smells um, and odors into the air so if you think about it if you've ever walked into somebody's house and they've been making uh, cookies yeah cookies or pot roast though you know whatever it is that you like pot roast yeah if you walk into the house you're like mmm that smells good it actually quite literally changes the brain chemistry right um, it uh, again if it associates with memory um, uh, uh, it will calm somebody down or excite them you know right. depending on what you're trying to do and it's interesting you use the word coercive magic Um <laughs> You know, I like to think of it as setting an intention. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, having your house smell like cookies or potpourri or, or mold wine or mm. whatever it is, it sets a mood. Yeah. And when people come in, whether they realize it or not, they begin to react yeah. to that mood. Yeah. Um, it's like if you walk into a house and you hear everybody out in the backyard laughing and joking and clinking glasses or what have you, it changes your mood. You might walk in in a foul mood and, and that could change it. And likewise with the actual ingredients, um, you can cook with ingredients. Uh, you know, if you want to add a little bit of spice to your life, cook with spicy foods. Not so hot that they overpower Mm -hmm. your taste buds but you know foods that leave your lips a little warm um you know you mentioned oysters earlier on you know maybe you mentioned oysters earlier on oh yeah that's right i did yeah oh i want oysters now um but thinking of oysters you know they're often considered an aphrodisiac and there's some science that says that's crap but there's also some um, some long associations with why aphrodisiacs and oysters are connected. But uh, you, you uh, again, this may not be your cup of tea specifically, but they do have a very particular taste and feel, and that taste and feel can be evocative of other uh, things that are very sexual in nature. Mm-hmm. So eating certain foods, you know, if you served me oysters, they might serve... Um, it might just be a nice dish, but it's also something that might get me in the mood, so to speak. And that doesn't mean because of the properties of the oysters themselves, but because of what they evoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. You know, again, it could be warm cookies or, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Um, some people love to dip um, strawberries into, you know, hot chocolate or they like to have um uh, like a fondue, you know, like a, a hot cheese sauce or wine, you know, whatever it might be. Certain foods will change your mood, mm-hmm. um, amp you up, slow you down, um, you know, get your get your juices flowing. And, you know, so is that coercive? No, but, you know, I could cook foods for you mm-hmm. that I know will stimulate you to certain actions or inactions. Right. Is that coercive? Or is that feeding you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the, the word coercive can be a little overused. Well, sure. But, you know, yeah, magic people is have their feelings. Magic is about influence and power. And anyone that tells you otherwise is selling you something. Mm. It's true. Well, there you go. There you go. It's my final word on the subject. All right. <laughs>
Well, on that note, goodbye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are actually getting close to our time. Oh, I have no idea what time it was. We've got a few more minutes. I okay. Think. Yeah. So what else you got to say then? About? Uh, kitchen magic? You know, I think here's what I would say about kitchen magic. Uh, everyone can do it. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you know, if you've got some training in cookery, that's great. But if you can read a cookbook or if you've got a friend that can read a cookbook to you, um, uh, if you experiment with foods, if you're someone for whom food is just fuel, mm -hmm. you know, like you don't really have a relationship with food. It's just that thing you have to do every few hours so that you don't die. Yeah. Um, then examine that. Uh, find a food that you do absolutely love and fall in love with that food. Yeah. Um, if it's potato chips, try potatoes. Not because they're healthier, but because they're the same food, mm -hmm. they're the same root food. Um, so if you love potato chips, try potatoes in as many forms as you can. Right. And, um, you know, have a relationship with a potato. Right. Um, it's it, like if you know that you have a... A, real, a spiritual relationship with a owl, you might also consider researching and learning about a mouse because that's what the owl eats. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think, that, and just to be clear, I serve neither owls nor mice in my kitchen. Mm. I mean, I'd serve them if they'd show up, but I would not cook either of them. Oh, gotcha. I was like, what do you mean you'd serve them if they'd showed up? Yeah, I mean, if they showed up and they were like, oh, hello, I'm I a mouse. Can I have some cheese? I'd I say sure. We've but. had mice show up in our kitchen before, and I don't like that. Yeah, I'm I don't, not. I don't want mice to show up. Yeah, I'm not inviting them. I would be okay with an owl showing up. That would be kind of cool, especially if there was a mouse, then we could deal with the mouse problem. Yeah. But I don't really want either of those things. I think an owl in our house would be problematic. Unless yeah. it was like a pet, and that seems problematic, that too. That is also problematic. Yeah. So there you go, folks. Today's lesson is don't <laughs> eat owls or mice. I don't know. I bet that uh, in other places in the world that wouldn't be that unusual to eat mice. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, whatever. Yeah. You eat what's on hand. Yeah. Yeah, no shame or judgment about that. There yeah. have been brilliant television shows of people going all over the world going... Really? Look at this interesting thing that people eat when who live here. I'll, Isn't that cool? I'll try that. Yeah. And I would. Yeah, I'm not so much into trying the randomness. There's nothing I wouldn't try once. Yeah. I would I would try a lot of things, but I I'm sure there are things I wouldn't try. Yeah. Like I don't think I want to eat the dairy and fruit. The uh, stinky death yeah. fruit. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be all over it. I, I mean once. I don't think I would like it. I mean maybe I'd try it twice, but yeah, I love all those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> I took a strange turn, didn't it? <laughs> it usually does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, folks, so I think we're at time, maybe yeah. a little bit over. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back with another show where we probably won't talk about kitchen witchery. Who knows? Well, we certainly don't. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> all right. Stay witchy. Be well. Blessed be. Blessed be. Stay witchy. Yeah. I like that. Stay witchy, San Diego. Good. Nice reference. <laughs> Love it. We'll agree to disagree. Okay, bye. Bye.